music was good this morning, huh? Like real good. I, and I was thinking, like I say that every week. <laughs> music was real good. Um, we're uh, going to wrap up today a uh, short little series we've been doing on the Beatitudes. And if I had an Etch-A-Sketch and could shake this thing and maybe hit the reset button and do it all over again, what I might do different is I might, instead of just doing four of them, I might do all eight. And instead of just doing four and doing all eight, I might also have done the Beatitudes in order. My, my worry going in was that, that these Beatitudes are just one little sentence and that maybe one little sentence couldn't be enough to build out a whole message. And I also worried that eight consecutive verses in a row could start to get a little repetitive. And my experience has been very different in preparing for it, and I hope and pray your experience has been different too. One of the reasons why I might do um, all eight and try to do them in order um, is because they, they, the Beatitudes kind of build on each other if one relies on the other. Y'all ever heard of this idea of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yeah, and so in short, it's like you got your, your basic level needs down below, like your need for food and water, the needs for survival. And if you're in a space where you're, you're needing food and water, it's really hard to think about your psychological needs, right? Your, your need for love, your need for feeling like you belong to a group. And so it goes with the Beatitudes. So we started our very first week on this talking about the peacemakers. And what we said about the peacemakers is what they do is they step into violent spaces with um, an attitude and a comfort, a strength of peace. And it'd be really, really hard to do that if you didn't have the beatitude that came before, which is a purity of heart or a singleness of purpose for reflecting Christ's love no matter where you are in the world. Likewise, this week with our beatitude, the merciful, it plays out kind of the same way. It'd be really tough to live a life of mercy if first we hadn't learned how to mourn where we've fallen short of the glory of God and to mourn with other people. It'd be really hard to live a life of mercy without the one that comes right before it. Um, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, because hungering and thirsting for righteousness, if you have an attitude of hunger for that and want to see it everywhere in the world, that can make us kind of hard. And mercy acts as a nice balancing point to that thirst and that hunger for righteousness. So let's dig into it. Um, the beatitude that we're going to uh, talk on today, like I said, if you're counting, it's, it's beatitude number five. Um, blessed um, are uh, the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Of all the beatitudes, and this is Matthew 5, 7, of all the beatitudes, this may be the easiest one to understand, right? I mean, Jesus said, judge not lest ye be judged, we say what goes around comes around. Gandhi said, be the change you want to see in the world. You get what you give. What you reap is what you sow. Blessed are those um, who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so where it's super easy to understand, of all the Beatitudes, I think this may be the hardest one to actually live into. And 
the reason why it's hard to live into is because mercy requires a real investment, a real investment of ourselves. And that's where I want to spend our time today is what that investment is. We're going to look at the emotional investment that mercy takes. We're going to look at the practical investment that mercy takes. And we're also going to look at the intellectual investment that mercy requires of us. But before we do any of that, I want to show you a video. And in this two minutes, I think it perfectly sums up everything there is to say about mercy. And I should probably set up the video a little bit, but I'm not going to, because here's the truth. If you don't know this movie, we can't be friends. Understand me? Okay. Second place. Second place. Second place is no place. You're off the team. That sucks. I did my best. What did you say? I said I did my best. You're nothing. You lost. You're a loser. No, you're the loser, man. Oh, I'm the loser, huh? Yeah. Now who's a loser? You know, you're really sick, man. Hey. Hey, come on. Uh, hey. What are you don't. Doing? How does second place feel now, huh? Come on, he can't breathe. Mind your business. You're going to kill him. Sensei, please, you're hurting him. He's sorry, okay? He really is. Boy, let him go. Yeah, this is right. Let him go. I say, let him go. Beat it, Smoke, or you're next. That's all we need to say, right? I mean, that's really great. Uh, I've got this list of things that I want to find a way to jam into a message. Like bacon was one, I got that in. Uh, Another one was got to get Karate Kid into a message somehow. Um, So I said we can't be friends, but we can be friends. I'll be merciful. This is Karate Kid Part 2. It it follows uh, right after Karate Kid Part (laughs) 1. And it literally picks up right where Karate Kid 1 leaves off. Uh, Danielson had just won the big tournament, and the bad karate teacher was trying to cheat. He was telling him to sweep the leg and hurt him. If you had kids in the 80s, or if you were a kid in the 80s, shame on you if you didn't see this movie. Um, but mercy requires, uh, so not only is it the, you know, the, one of the top five movies ever made, um, it's, uh, 
It also, in this two-minute clip, says everything that I wanted to say today about mercy. And so first, um, mercy requires an emotional investment. It requires us to use our hearts. And I was thinking about uh, my boy, my boy Rowan, and um, it was a couple weeks back. I had to uh, go to Ella's soccer practice. And Ella's soccer practice runs about an hour and a half, and Mitzi had women's ministry or something, and so I had Rowan with me. And he's a year and a half years old, and you know that an hour and a half soccer practice is a little bit of a crapshoot with a year and a half year old. It, it's, she ends about 7.30, and so we're eating into bath time and dinner time and bedtime really fast, and right around the end of practice, he's just about had it. And um, I, he's doing that thing where he doesn't want to be held, but he also doesn't want to be going down, and so I'm up and down and up and down, and he's crying the whole time. And right about this time where he's screaming and crying, this dad walks past me, and he goes, must be bedtime, right? And I thought... And he didn't just say, must be bedtime. He said it with real pain in his eyes. Like, he, he knew exactly what I was going through. And, and yes, that's just a simple kindness, but it's also an emotional mercy, right? Because it must be bedtime to a frustrated dad. It's like saying, dude, I've been there. Don't be embarrassed. It's okay. But dad to dad, this kind of emotional mercy is pretty easy. When we're peer-to-peer, it doesn't take a tremendous amount of effort because we can think, you know what, I've been there, I've felt that, I, God knows I needed mercy in that situation, so I'm going to give mercy to someone else. Where mercy, the emotional investment, starts to get really hard is when we're looking into the eyes of the villain. When we can't understand the situation that they're in. And you can look into his eyes right now and you can see his fists are bloodied. He knows that he's beaten. He knows that he's lost. And I wanted Mr. Miyagi to just chop him in the neck. But he didn't. He showed mercy. A friend of mine told me a long time ago that she finds it really easy to show grace and mercy to people when when they're broken, people that are in tragedy or when they're, you know, they're in the worst of situations. But with church people, she said, I find it harder to show grace and mercy. You know those people who seem like on the surface that they've got it all together? And we've all got something, right? We've all got an offense or a person who we may find it tougher to extend mercy to them. And what we see in the New Testament is Jesus execute this kind of emotional mercy flawlessly with the woman at the well. Here's this woman who Jesus has absolutely no common life experience. Number one, she's a, she's a woman in a time where women were not valued. She's a Samaritan, a hated people, She's had five husbands. She's been ostracized by the entire community. And just Jesus is able to look at her and see something beyond the wrong that she's done and extend mercy. He sees her and he says, I see that you're searching for something. I see that you're thirsty. And whatever life it is that you think you deserve, I see something completely different. 
So the first thing that mercy requires us from us is an emotional investment for us first to feel and to engage our hearts. The second thing that mercy requires us, of us is a practical investment. It asks us to use our hearts, but also our hands to feel and also to show. Now, Mr. Miyagi showed mercy to the karate teacher when he didn't chop him and just instead honked his nose. But Mr. Miyagi also shared, showed mercy to the boy who was getting beat up by the bad karate instructor. It's easier to show mercy from a distance. It's harder to get involved. So he stepped into that space, and he got involved. Um, there's, a, there's a waitress over at uh, Mahdi's restaurant, and um, I love this waitress. She's, she's not a good waitress, uh, and she's kind of weird, but I love her anyway, and, he, and here's why. My boy, I said he's a year and a half years old, and he's a terrible eater. I mean, like rice and beans and tortilla chips are tough, right? And he insists on trying to use a spoon for everything, um, especially the rice. The rice is hard. It gets everywhere. It gets in the high chair. It gets on the floor. It gets a little bit in his ear, and and rice isn't super easy to pick up either, right? Like, you can't just, like, grab it with a napkin real fast. You've got to get down on the Mahdi's nasty concrete floor and try to scoop it up into a pile. And, and that's what Mitzi and I deserve, right? Because the price of the fajitas didn't come with a power wash of the table or to take a spatula and scrape cheese off the ceiling. We deserve to get on our hands and knees and clean up that nasty rice. But here's why I love that waitress is she showed us mercy, she came up to the table, and the first thing she did is said, God dang it, your kid is cute. And I got a toddler too. And then she said, don't do that. Don't clean up. I've got a broom and a dustpan, and that's what brooms and dustpans are for. Let me do it, please. And it occurred to me last night that some of us may be in that space on our knees, on the dirty, nasty concrete, trying to clean up our mess. In our ear, Christ is whispering, don't do that. I have a broom and a dustpan. That's what brooms and dustpans are for. Let me. Mercy requires an emotional investment Mercy requires a practical investment for us to feel and for us also to show. And what I don't believe is that we're called to step into every situation that requires mercy, but I do believe we're called on to use our gifts. Mr. Miyagi had karate. The waitress at Mahdi's had a dustpan in a room. Where I believe, as I was praying on this, I think, I think the question that we can ask today as a congregation is where in our lives do we need to show mercy? Where in our lives are we ready to show mercy? And you hear me, I'm punching on that word show and I'm trying to punch on it intentionally because first I think there's this natural order to mercy, right? First you have to feel it before you can show it. You have to have it here before you can get involved with your hands. But I'm also punching on that because I know as I examine my own heart, 
There are situations in my life, there's people in my life where I have felt mercy. I've had conversations in my head where I go, I know I need to forgive them. I know I need to let this person off the hook. I know I need to forgive that in and of myself. But I've not yet taken the step to show mercy, to make it a practical, tangible thing. Mercy requires us to feel and mercy requires us to show. And lastly, mercy requires an intellectual investment. Mercy requires an intellectual investment to engage our brains. Mercy is not a replacement for justice. In the scene with Mr. Miyagi, you'll notice he didn't walk over to the bad karate teacher and say, it's okay, just beat up that kid, it's fine. You'll notice that he didn't do everything he could to stop that fist from breaking through the glass. No, the bloodied and broken fists were a consequences of the violence in the karate teacher's heart. John 3.16 doesn't say, for God so loved the world that he decided that sin was okay. Justice and righteousness remained, and there was still a price to be paid. And thank God that price was paid. So mercy requires an emotional a practical and intellectual investment. Uh, I've been telling you all, I think, for a little while, maybe because I've been praying on it real hard and it worries me, is that my daughter just got her driver's license and uh, she's got a little bit of a lead foot. We've had a couple, like we had a Facebook post saying, who's that person in the Toyota FJ Cruiser? And uh, then a mom at the church or at the school was like, oh, your kid's driving too fast. And so I've been thinking a lot about mercy with my daughter and her driving and... Uh, So the first thing that mercy requires for me is to engage my heart and to realize where she's coming from. I mean, she's got her driver's license for the first time, and she's got like a freedom that she's never experienced before. And I know she's cranking up the speaker super loud and listening to music I wish she wouldn't listen to. And she actually blew out one of the speakers in the truck. (laughs) And I bet she's dancing the steering wheel a little bit, you know, but... I remember that. I remember getting my first car, and I remember cranking my radio up, and I remember just that feeling of freedom that you get from having wheels for the first time. Mercy also requires me to engage my hands. Now, Mitzi's not here, so I can say this. I think I got some stuff to teach my daughter about driving safe. I think I can get, on my, get my hands on her and teach her how to be safer behind the wheel. What mercy doesn't require of me is not to apply consequences. And this is where I have to use my brain because if I don't apply consequences to the bad driving, I'm not being merciful to her future safety. And Lord knows I'm not being merciful to everybody else that's on the road with her. And here's what I want to say about this illustration is that's super easy, right? That's just being a parent. If we're going to get serious, I mean really serious about mercy, we're going to be faced with what feel like impossible situations. I mean, the kind of stuff where we can maybe engage our heart, maybe we can feel where that injustice came from, but we'll look at our hands and we'll know, I'm not equipped to fix this. I'm not equipped to apply mercy here. And we'll wrestle in our brain with, 
how that bad thing hurt other people and the consequences of that. And this is the most difficult place that we try to apply mercy is intellectually. Because mercy does not replace justice. Mercy does not replace righteousness. If we were to do a, a week on blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we'd be thinking about being desperate for righteousness. We'd be imagining like crawling through the desert on our hands and knees, like thirsting, needing water, and cracking open a cactus. We'd be thinking about that kind of desperation for righteousness. That kind of desperation for righteousness can turn us hard. And what we have to realize is that I, for you, for everybody, perfect righteousness is impossible. So here's the challenge for this week is in your prayers, in my prayers, to be asking for God to show us the spaces where we can show mercy, where we can be merciful. Pray to God to help us to engage our hearts and feel mercy. Help us to know and put us in situations where we can use our hands to show mercy and then help us engage our brains to know when and how to apply mercy in a just way. Let's go to the Lord together and pray. God, we come before you this morning and first we just want to say thanks for your son's words, Jesus' words and the Beatitudes and just the beauty of them, the simplicity of them, the way that they can guide our life. God, we, we ask you, we need your help to break our hearts for those that may have fallen short, those that have done us wrong. God, show, help us show up in places where our skills and our gifts are matched with situations that need mercy. Let us, let us get involved in those situations, God. And God, lastly, just give us wisdom to know when and how mercy should be applied. God, help us to use our hearts, our hands, and our brains in service of mercy, the mercy that we so desperately need from you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.